0: Well, Welcome to Sojourn Church. We are uh, grateful that God has brought you together with us this morning, as Alan and Evan both said. And man, it's exciting. Today's an exciting day for, uh, for us as a church. Today is our two-year anniversary as a church. So yeah, let's praise God for that. just amazing to think that over the last two years, all that God has done. So no matter whether you were here at the very beginning of sojourn, gathering together as a church, whether you've been here over the last year, the last few months, whether it's your first Sunday, we can praise God for that. We can give thanks to God because he has done great things in and through the ministry of this church, and he is hopefully going to continue to do great things in and through this church. So as we begin our time together this morning, let's just pray and give God thanks and pray that he would continue to do that work. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to be able to gather together today and and just to be together as a family today, celebrating the fact that over the last two years we've been able to gather together. As Alan said, we gather together because of the gospel, because of grace, and so we celebrate your grace today in our lives as individuals and in the life of this church. As we said last week, Lord, we are not an organization, we're not a subculture, we're not a religious group, we are blood-bought sons and daughters of yours. And so, Lord, we just want to give you thanks for that. We thank you for what you have done. And, Lord, we pray for your glory and for our good and the good of our city that you would continue to do a work in and through this local church here in Fairfax. Lord, we pray that you would call more people to yourself, that more people would hear the truth of the gospel, that you would give more people ears to hear and eyes to see their need for Christ. Give them faith to believe, Lord. And I pray that we could lock arms together to continue to move forward, to proclaim your truth to this city, to this area, and we could continue to encourage each other in grace. So Lord, I'm thankful for our time together this morning. I'm thankful for our time that we're going to have in the word this morning. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, that you would do a work as your word goes out today. Bring transformation in the lives of your people today. Bring new life here today. Lord, we celebrate the fact that you are a God And that we can know you. So we rest in that. We praise you for that. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We are in a three-week series called A Community of Grace, and I'm I'm excited for this series. I'm hopeful for what God uh, can do in and through the life of our church as we spend these three weeks, last week, this week, and next week, walking through this series. And so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 6. So if you need a Bible, if you just raise your hand, Uh, we have a few guys that are going to bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you just to be able to read along with us this morning, and actually give that to you as a gift if you don't actually own a Bible, so that you can take that home and continue to read God's word. Romans chapter 6. This has been a foundational text in my life personally. I, I have struggled with significant sin in my life. I still struggle with sin in my life. And God has used this text to blow me away every single time that I read it. Every single time I study it, I just sit there and am in awe of God's truth that he gives to me and to you through Romans chapter 6. And by God's grace, it has been etched into my brain. And by God's grace, it will continue to be etched on my heart. And I want to preach this text today in this series because I'm hopeful for what it could mean for you. What it can mean for our church as we sit under God's word and look at these few verses in Romans chapter 6. So we have a lot to cover this morning, so let's go ahead and jump in. So grab your Bible, open up to Romans 6, and we're going to begin reading the words of the Apostle Paul to us today. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. This is one of those places in Scripture that I really wish that we could have an audio recording of the Apostle Paul speaking this to us. And we all know that when we read written text that sometimes we miss the tone of what the text actually says, whether it's a literal text message or an email, right? We don't always know the tone that's being communicated. And when we read Scripture, sometimes we're not sure of the tone that's being communicated. But my sense is, as we read this, that Paul is fired up when he's writing this. In order for us to understand the question that he asks in these first few verses, to understand why he is fired up, we need to go back just a few verses to the end of chapter 5 to see what he says there. So let's read those. Romans chapter 5, 18 through 21. Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Paul says, look, sin has come to all people through one person, through Adam. But at the very same time, grace has come to all people through one person, Jesus Christ. And the law shows us that we are sinners because we are unable to live in perfect righteousness. We are unable and unwilling. But he says where sin increases, grace abounds all the more because Christ has come. Righteousness has been given to us through faith in Jesus. And that's good news for us. But see, Paul anticipates objections. He anticipates questions with this. Should we then not care about sin? Should we go on as if it isn't a big deal knowing, well, hey, grace abounds when we sin. Now, whether these questions are asked as a permission slip for sin or they're asked out of fear that people will think that they can now live a life of license live however they want paul's answer is the same he says absolutely not and his language is strong here it's an emphatic no it's as if he's saying that is absurd to even think for that thought to even cross your mind now why would he have such a strong reaction to this To someone thinking these kinds of things, that sin no longer matters in our lives. The reason he has such a strong reaction to this is because of the reality of the gospel. Because of the reality of grace in your life. See, Paul basically is saying, I don't think you understand if you're asking that question, if you're still dealing with and wrestling with sin in these ways, that you're not understanding the gospel. You're not understanding what takes place in your life. He asks this question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? What does he mean by that? He gives us an explanation, verses 3 through 5. If you know Christ, if you by faith have repented and placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then what's happened to you is you've been baptized into Christ. This means literally you've been immersed in him. You've been united with him. Paul says you've been immersed into his death. When Christ died, you died. He represented you as he bore the wrath of God on the cross for your sin and your rebellion. And as he was buried, you were buried. But see, the good news of the gospel is not simply that Christ died for sinners like you and me, but that Christ rose again from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death forever. So that means that if we're baptized into Christ, united with him, then we also will be raised with him, Paul says. Because Jesus was raised, you too are raised with him. And that affects your life now and forever. It affects your life now, Paul says, because now, because you are united with Jesus, you can walk in new life. You can walk in the newness of life. And it affects your life in eternity, Paul says, Because you will be raised when Christ returns to live in the new heavens and the new earth. You will see Jesus and be made like Jesus. See, you and I can live the resurrection life now because Christ has made you new, is making you new, and will make you new. I love that Paul uses baptism here as a picture of what's going on here. Because baptism is a picture of the realization of these promises. As you go down into the water, you are being buried. You are cleansed of your old life. And as you come up out of the water, you are resurrected to walk in the newness of life, to live in light of your new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 illustrates this same idea. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if we're united with Christ, if we are connected with Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you know Jesus, then you have new life. The old is gone. We're actually celebrating baptisms today as a church. There's three people getting baptized today. And each of these people will stand up in front of our church and give a confession of Jesus being Lord of their life. And then each one of them will go down into the water and be brought back up again. It is a means of grace to the people that are getting baptized today, but it's also a gift to you. Because as you sit there and watch them get baptized, it images the reality of the gospel. It images the effects of the gospel to you. It is a visual picture of death and life. So each time one of those three people goes into the water today, think of what that means. They are united with Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. Now, this picture of our union with Christ is a radical picture and its implications are radical. And that's what Paul's point is. If we go back to verse two, then we see Paul is saying you can't just go on living in sin if you've been united with Jesus. Then when you're united with Christ in his death, when you're united with Christ in his resurrection, everything changes for you. Everything changes for you. You can't go on living life the same way. In fact, I would say, and Paul would say, that if you do go on living life the same way, then maybe you aren't actually united with Jesus. Maybe you don't yet actually know Christ. Now, Paul's main point here is this. Here's his main point in all of this. If you are united with Christ now, then you can walk in holiness and obedience now. Not as a slave to sin, because you are dead to sin. Let me say that again just so that we get this. If you are united with Christ now, then you can walk in holiness and obedience now because you're not a slave to sin, because you're dead to sin. But just to make sure we understand all of this, we see that Paul elaborates a bit more on the implications of what this means for your life and for my life. And one of my favorite things about this text in Romans chapter 6 is it's very application oriented. It's pretty straightforward to see what Paul's saying here. We don't have to dig very deep to see how he intends for us to apply what he's saying to our life. And what he says is clear. What he says is compelling to us. And so I think we can break this down into kind of three specific movements of application. Three different movements of application that we see in the remainder of these verses through verse 14. The first one is in verses 6 and 7. Look at verses 6 and 7. Paul says, we know, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So here's our application point number one. We need to know, K-N-O-W, know. This is key. This is really important. If we miss this, we miss the fullness of the Christian life. If we miss this, we miss the reality of the fullness of the gospel. Paul's saying you need to know the fullness of the gospel, knowing the fullness of what it means that Christ died for you and was raised. So, Sojourn, this is about understanding the cross. See, all of us are either united then with Adam or we're united with Jesus. There's no other option for us we're either united to Adam or we're united with Christ. We are either enslaved to sin, following it as our master just like Adam, or Jesus is lord and we follow him. And the cross of Jesus is the pivotal point in this. And Paul makes it clear here. If you are you are in Christ, if you are united with him, that old self, the one that was captive to sin, that was united with Adam, it has been crucified. It's been crucified. And here's why this is important for your life right now. Here's why this is important for you right now. Because the cross of Christ does not just save you from your sin. It destroys sin's power over your life right now. It doesn't just save you from your sin. It's not just about what happens in eternity. That you can be with God in eternity. It destroys sin's power in your life now. In other words, the gospel of grace is not just for your salvation, it's for your sanctification as well. It's for making you holy, making you like Jesus. You and I never move on from grace then. It's not something that just we believe in and trust in at one point and then move on from it. We never leave it behind. Paul is saying because of what Christ has done for you, sin is not your Lord anymore. Jesus is your Lord, so follow him. Now notice what Paul says about sin. He says that it enslaves you. It enslaves you. Man, do you understand what that means? Sin's not just a little thing here or there. It's not just a little option to choose this or choose that. It, is a, it enslaves you. And it means that apart from Christ, you are shackled to sin. And it's a wicked master. It's an oppressive master. But Christ has come to set you free from that, not just in eternity, but now. So let me ask you this. Do you know the fullness of the gospel? Have you experienced the death of your old self? Crossing over from death to life by trusting in Christ alone. His life, his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of your sin. Paul says if you haven't, then you are still enslaved to it. So we need to know the reality of the gospel. And that the cross does not just save us from our sin, but destroys its power in our lives. And that leads us to our second point of application in the text. Verses 8 through 11. Paul says this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our first point of application is to know. Our second one is to believe. Believe. Jesus died for us and is now alive forever. Leading us as Lord, interceding for us as Savior. Then in verse 11, we have the word so. And this is a huge word here. So, Paul says, so in light of everything that I have said, do this, consider yourself, or as some translations say, reckon yourself. Believe this to be true for yourself, is what Paul's saying. Believe that because of what Christ has done, that you are actually dead to sin, that you can now live all of your life to God. See, I think the reality for a lot of us is that we have a cognitive understanding of what Christ did for us. But when it comes to our actual life here and now, we don't believe that his death frees us completely. Right now. We don't believe that his resurrection affects our life completely. I mean, what does it mean to be dead to sin? It means that what once ruled you no longer has power over you. It means that what you once loved has now become distasteful to you. And this is Paul's point. When you are united with Jesus, you are no longer obligated to sin. When you are united with Christ, you are no longer obligated to sin. You now have an ability that you did not have before. That is to resist sin. You can pursue holiness now. You can walk in obedience now because of what Christ has done for you. How? Because the reign of sin has been broken. Christ has broken it. Christ has set you free. You have a new master now in Jesus. See, a radical transformation takes place in any person's life the moment you cross from death to life through Jesus. As one commentator writes about this, he says, We have been taken out from under the tyranny of sin in a transfer so radical and decisive that the language of death and new life can be used of it. I mean, this is radical language to use that to say that you've died and are now brought to new life. That's radical language. But he's saying, look, this is so significant for you. It's so significant that we can say that your old you has passed away. It has died. has been crucified. And we can't miss this. Paul's point is that this is a direct effect of grace. It is by Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection that gives you this ability. This is not something you do on your own. There's no way for you and me to reform ourselves, to change ourselves. It only comes through the cross of Christ. It only comes through and by God's grace. And that should be good news for you. Because if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail miserably. But when we understand and believe this to be true of ourselves, it is amazing news to us. So Paul's saying, I know you know cognitively. I know you know in your head that you have died with Christ, that you've been raised with Christ, but do you believe that to be an actual reality for your life now? Do you believe sin does not have dominion over you now? So Sojourn, do you believe that? When you, when you get up this week, when you're walking through life this week, do you believe the reality of what Paul's saying here? All of us need to hear this this morning. All of us need to hear it because we will struggle over and over again to believe it. Some of us in particular are struggling big time right now with this because I think that some of us here today really do believe what we actually believe is there is something in our life right now that we will never overcome. There's a sin struggle that we have going on right now that we are going to always be captive to. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's drinking, maybe it's lying. Maybe it's anxiety or anger. Maybe it's selfishness or control. Maybe it's fear of man. Maybe it's self-righteousness or pride. I think I'm just always going to be dealing with that. I'm always going to be in the midst of that. I'm always going to be captive to it. But what does the text say? What does God's word say to you today? It says, no. No, that's not true. You have died with Christ You've been buried with Christ. You have risen with Christ. Sin does not now rule over you. There's not one sin in your life right now that rules over you. There's not. There's not a single thing. You can't sit there. Some of you may be sitting there right now going like, well, yeah, everything. But this one thing, that, that thing, is always going to be there. That's not what God's word says to you this morning. There's not one thing, and that is God's grace to you. See, to believe that you are forever captive to sin, to a particular sin, is a lie from Satan. The enemy will say to you when you struggle, Man, if you're really saved, why do you keep screwing up? If you really know Jesus, why do you keep failing in this part of your life? And we can't come back with a list of achievements. We we can't come back with trophies. We can't come back with examples of our own righteousness. All we can do in the midst of that, in our failures, when we struggle in life, all we can do is hold on to the grace of God in the gospel. We can look and we say, my failings no longer condemn me because Christ is mine and I am his. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you. See, I believe Paul's writing this. I believe he's giving this to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because the reality of your life and my life is that we will struggle. The reality of your life and my life is that we will be tempted to sin, to walk away from Jesus, to pursue the things of this world. We'll be tempted in that way until Christ returns or calls us home. As one pastor says, what we were in Adam is no more, but until heaven the temptation to live in Adam always remains. See, sin is now in guerrilla warfare mode. It knows it can't win. Victory is not possible for it, but it is going to wreak havoc on your life. It's gonna seek to create destruction in your life wherever and however it can. It can't win, but it can do some serious damage. Destroy your relationships. Ruin your life here and now. So Paul's saying we need to know, we need to believe that we are indeed dead to sin and alive to God. We must constantly and continually view ourselves in this light. This is who we are now if we know Christ. We need to be reminded of that every single day, every single morning, all throughout the day because it's so easy to get off track with that. See, our freedom in Christ that comes through our union with Christ is something that we need to actually appropriate to our lives. We need to live in it, we need to enjoy it. All of us are enslaved to sin, but when Christ comes, he removes the shackles. He unlocks the door to the prison cell and says to you, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. That's his word to you. But man, I think the reality for a lot of us is one of two things happen. We hear those words from Christ, but we don't get up. We don't move out of the prison cell because we don't think we can. We try to lift our own legs up. We try to lift our own feet up and start moving. We say, it's just too hard. I can't do it. And so we sit there. We don't understand what freedom means. We don't believe it to be true for us. Maybe it's good for everybody else, but that's not me. Or for some of us, we do walk out of the prison cell. We start to experience freedom, but then we find ourselves walking back into that prison cell, closing the door, putting the shackles back on our arms, and back on our legs, sitting in the same corner we always sat in. Why do we do that? Because we are most familiar with the voice of our old master. So when he comes calling, we are quick to respond, almost out of habit or even comfort. It's what we're used to. It's predictable, even if awful, at the same time. And so we heed his voice. We obey his commands. We find ourselves voluntarily following See, when you and I sin, we disregard the very thing Christ did for us. He died to set you free. So, what Paul's saying to us this morning is let's learn the voice of our new master, who is gracious, who is kind, who is merciful, who is loving, who is faithful, who says to you right now, that is not who you are. That is not who you are. You are not captive any longer, you are free. Walk with me in freedom. Follow me in freedom. Get up and walk out of the cell, the prison that you've been sitting in. See, Sojourn, this is not about rules. This is not about making resolutions for your life. This is about believing the gospel. It's about believing the gospel. It's about the grace that flows from our Savior for all of life. So the moments that you and I forget the gospel of grace, we don't, the moments we don't believe the gospel of grace is when we stray. It's when we don't believe that that we stray because we forget who we are. And that's the point. If I fall into sin, it's simply because I don't realize who I am. And Paul's saying, realize it. Reckon it. Believe it. This is who you are now. You're not captive any longer. But realizing and believing is not a mere mental state. It also must lead to action. Which brings us to our third point of application. Our first one is we need to know Our second is that we need to believe. And our third one is that we need to do. Verses 12 and 13. Paul says, let not sin therefore. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Righteousness. Because we know we have been set free. Because we believe that we've been set free. Now we need to live a life of freedom. Verses 12 and 13 show us that there is no neutral position. There's no neutral position. We are either presenting ourselves to sin as instruments of unrighteousness or we're presenting ourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. As one pastor from the 17th century said, His name is John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. There's no neutral. We have to fight now against sin. We have to do this in light of what Jesus has done though. Not on our own strength, not on our own ability. This is the point of what Paul's saying here. This is really important for us to understand. Sin is not present in your life from a lack of willpower. This is not about just saying no to sin. Sin is present in our life and it comes from a lack of understanding, a lack of understanding our position, a lack of reflection and rejoicing in the grace we've received, what that means for your life right now. I was at the beach a few weeks ago and one afternoon I was sitting out on the beach by myself, which is rare to do when you have little kids, but I had the opportunity to do that. I think they were hanging out at home. My wife was gracious enough to let me go sit on the beach for a little while alone and there was nobody around and as I sat there, I saw a kite surfer go by in front of me. You know, a kite surfer, they sit on, they, they stand on these boards and have a giant kite, basically, that pulls them along with the wind along the ocean. And I watched this kite surfer go down the beach and go down the, the beach in front of me in the ocean. And then I saw, I guess he decided he wanted to go back. So he turned around and was trying to go back the other direction. But it was really interesting because not too far in front of me, all of a sudden, he's just sitting there. Not going anywhere. The kite is up in the air wanting to pull him back this way. He's trying to go this way and he keeps getting pulled back this way. I don't know enough about kite surfing. Maybe he wasn't doing something right. But the reality of what it was is just the futility of it. He couldn't change anything. He couldn't make himself go the way that he wanted to go. He just sat there in the waves over and over again, bobbing him up and down. He couldn't do anything in his own power and ability. See, when we try to do it on our own, we don't get anywhere. We are not good managers of our sin. But grace is the wind that pulls us up out of the waves and sends us gliding across the sea. See, grace is the motivation for our holiness. But grace is also the means for our holiness. Because grace says to you, remember, you belong to Jesus and he to you. Remember, sin is never too powerful to resist because Jesus has overcome It cannot put you in a triangle chokehold. It cannot put you in an arm bar until you tap out. Sin has no ability any longer to cause you to submit. You always have the ability to counter back. You always have the ability to make it tap out because you are in Christ now. Because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So don't submit any longer to sin. Don't walk back into the jail cell. Submit yourself to God by His grace and submit your whole self to Him. Your mind, your will, your heart, your body. Follow Jesus. See, verses 12 and 13 are a picture of true repentance in light of the gospel of grace. Because of what Christ has done, because of the grace that you've received, turn away from darkness and turn to live in the light of Christ. Look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. I love the concluding verses of, or concluding verse of Romans 6 in this section here. Verse 14, Paul says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. For sin will have no dominion over you. He doesn't say it might not have dominion over you. He doesn't say it probably won't have dominion over you. He doesn't say in 99% of the things that you struggle with, it won't have dominion. But maybe this one will have dominion over you. He says it will not have dominion over you. Why? Because you're under grace. You and I can never do anything to gain God's favor. You and I can never do anything to atone for our sin. The law makes that clear to us. But living your life under grace, not law, does not mean that you don't need to obey. Living your life under grace, not law, means that you, na- you can now obey and follow Jesus. See, grace does not lead people to continue to sin. Grace leads people away from sin because grace is what frees you from sin. Christ has set you free, so now walk in that freedom. Why has this text been so foundational to me? Why has it been so foundational to me? Because every time I read it, I'm reminded of the hope that I have, that I'm not defeated by any sin in my life. There's not a single thing in my life that will always be there That has to always be there. I can always fight against it. I can always be on guard against it. Temptation will always be there, but I can fight against sin in my life. I will not, do not have to be defeated by anything. And why do I want to talk about this in our Community of Grace series? Because we do this together. We do this together. A Community of Grace helps you to understand your call to holiness and to fight for holiness. By living out the truth of Romans 6. If we together understand what Christ has done for us, then we together can remind each other of the truth of what God's grace means for our life right here and now. The grace, that grace does not lead us to sin more. That grace instead leads us to walk in obedience, to walk in freedom. I said last week that being a community of grace is not about telling each other to try harder or do better. No, instead, a community of grace says to one another, know that your old self has been crucified with Christ and that you're no longer enslaved to sin. A community of grace says to one another, believe that you are dead to sin and alive to God. A community of grace says to one another, do, do not submit yourself to sin, but do submit yourself to God in righteousness because you've been brought from death to life. A community of grace says to one another, sin has no dominion over you because you are under grace. See, a community of grace should be known for grace, which means a community of grace should be known for holiness as well. Because grace from beginning to end changes you. It changes you immediately and it changes you continually. There's no neutral. It's not optional. And so in order for us to do this, we have to be willing to humbly engage with one another And we have to be willing to humbly receive from one another. Man, you and I should long to have brothers and sisters in our life. People around us who love us enough to point out our sin. Who love us enough to walk alongside of us as we battle and fight for joy in Jesus. Sojourn, we need each other. We absolutely need each other. We need each other to encourage, to rebuke, to exhort, to challenge, to speak truth in love, to remind each other that grace doesn't just save us, it transforms us, it enables us to change. We all need grace. There's no one that's above it. There's no one that moves beyond it. But when you and I mess around with sin, we're like a person leaning over a cliff. As we lean over the cliff, we keep leaning and straining, seeing how far we can go, holding on somehow. We see that death is below, but we keep leaning out. But if we're part of a community of grace, when we see one another do that in love, what we do is we reach out and we grab a hold of you by the shirt and we yank you back. In love, we say, brother, turn away. Sister, turn away. This is not who you are. You've been set free. You are dead to sin and alive to God. So when a brother or sister comes to you, when they seek to challenge you, encourage you, when they seek to call you to walk in holiness, to present yourself to God as someone who's been brought from death to life, to present your whole self to God as an instrument of righteousness, don't brush them off. Don't ignore them. Don't see it as being harsh, but praise God that they love you enough to reach out. Praise God, they love you enough to grab on, that they love you enough to fight the fight with you and get this, even if it isn't always delivered in the best way. Even if it always doesn't come to you in the best way. Wife, when your husband comes to you and he he confronts you on something, don't disregard what he says to you because his tone seems a little bit harsh. Listen to the content of his message that in love he's coming to you. Husband, don't disregard your wife thinking, well, she's just nitpicking or nagging on me. Stop and in humility receive, seeing that, man, she wants me to grow. She wants me to know more of what it means to walk in faithfulness to Christ. If you have a brother or sister in your community group that comes to you, don't say, oh, this is so unloving. Why are you just keep beating me up about this? See, it is gracious and kind that they want to keep engaging with you, keep calling you to stop leaning over the cliff and to follow Jesus. Man, that's God's gift to you. God uses his people who've been bought with the blood of Christ to help us to walk in holiness. To be who we are in Christ. He uses his people to speak his word to us. To speak it over us. He uses his people to pray for us. He uses his people to remind us of the gospel. But you and I have to be willing. We have to be willing no matter what it is to actually bring our struggle to our community to be real with one another. I can't help you, you can't help me if I don't open my life up to you. If you don't open your life up to me, we need to be real with one another, the struggles that we have. So to close our time, I wanna show you another video. We showed a video last week and I wanna show you another video, a powerful video from one of your brothers. So put away your phone, set down your pen and just look up here and listen to my brother Tim this morning. Man, I am um, just so thankful for God's grace in Tim's life. So thankful for God's grace to help him to be able to share something deep within his own life to his community. And I love what he said. He said, when we remove our sin from darkness and expose it to the light, it brings freedom. And it brings freedom. It loses its power in your life. The enemy is going to tell you over and over and over and over again, you don't want to tell anybody about this. What would they think of you? What are they going to say to you? But man, what we see in the word, what we see just from the testimony of Tim's life is that, no, that's exactly the opposite. When we as a community understand grace, when we understand how desperate we are, For Jesus, all of us, we can share anything. We can bring it into the light and experience that freedom. It's hard to do this, but it's so good. To have a community that knows, believes, and strives to live out the implications of the gospel that's with you in the fight, that is an amazing blessing. So let's be that community, Sojourn. With God's help and grace, let's be a community of grace that helps one another strive for holiness. They may think, well, what do I do when someone comes to me? What do I do when someone shares a struggle or a sin that they're dealing with, when they confess it to me? You respond by giving grace. You respond by speaking grace. You respond by reminding them of grace. But see, grace is not sweeping sin under the rug. We don't condemn and we don't condone. We say Christ died for that. Jesus went to the cross for that, so turn away. And rest in the fullness of the lavish love and grace of our God who's faithful and true. Be who you are, dead to sin and alive to God. So let's bring our life into the light. No matter how scary it might seem. Let's speak grace to one another, reminding each other of the truth of Romans 6. Sojourn, let's put down facades. Let's remove masks let's stop pretending and stop hiding and stop trying to do this on your own. Come as you are. You can come to community as you are because you can come to Jesus as you are. He is gracious. He is good. He is Lord. He is Savior. And in him you will find grace upon grace. There is nothing that's too big. There's no one that's too far gone. Nothing is impossible or insurmountable with God's grace. There is hope for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, because our God is great and our God is good. He sent his son to die for you and he raised him again from the dead, not only to forgive you, but to give you life now and forever. That's what coming to the table reminds us of each week. See, you and I don't come to Jesus after we get ourselves right. We don't come to Jesus after we clean up our lives. We come to Jesus with all the brokenness, with all the mess, and we fall at his feet in desperation. See, the table reminds us that Jesus does not speak a word of condemnation over you. He speaks grace to you. He says, my body is given for you. My blood is shed for you so you could be forgiven So you could be set free. So now walk in that blood-bought freedom. You are no longer a slave, but a child of God. Walk as a recipient of grace. So as you come to the table this morning, you are going to walk before and behind your brothers and sisters. You walk together as a community of grace, because grace is what we all need. And So we should rejoice in that this morning, as we take the bread and take the cup. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would ask you not to come forward to take communion. Because what this is a display of, what this is a picture of, is our desperation for grace. Coming to the table does not save you. Jesus saves you. And so if you don't yet know Christ, if you haven't experienced God's grace, don't come up and take the bread and the cup. Take Jesus today. Just stay in your seat and pray and ask God to save you. Turn away from your sin today and trust in Christ went to the cross for you and rose again to set you free. And if you have questions about what it means to know Jesus, please come talk to me afterwards or any of our other leaders here. We'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you. And those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready. Take a tear off a small piece of bread and take a cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are just in awe that you would see fit in your love and your sovereignty and your eternal plan to not let us just remain distant from you, to not give us what we deserve. Lord, we're in awe that you would send your son to die for us. And Lord, we want to just praise you this morning that that is not just for eternity. It's not just to forgive us of our sin for eternity so we can have a relationship with you. It's to set, set us free from the power of sin in our life now. And so, Lord, as a church here in Fairfax, as a community that is formed and shaped by the gospel, I pray that we would rest in that truth. But as we rest in it, Lord, that we would speak it to one another. That we would be a community of grace that seeks to say to each other, grace doesn't just saves you, it changes you. It transforms you. So walk in it now, brother. Walk in it now, sister. You are dead to sin and alive to God. Lord, help us to be a community that is marked by grace. And as we're marked by grace, it means we're marked by holiness. That we wouldn't get entangled with the things of this world, finding our joy and our hope in the things of this world. But as we sang earlier, we would truly believe and live out the reality that Jesus is better. Lord, as we do that, I pray that, our lives would be radically transformed and changed so that we'd be more effective in seeing people come to know you, that our lives would just be a display of your grace that would be so enticing and attractive to people that they couldn't help but ask us, why do you have joy? Why do you have hope? Why do you have love and faith? And we would say, Jesus, nothing but Jesus. So Lord, we come to the table this morning just as desperate for grace as we were the first day we trusted in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us today that we would walk out of here and be men and women who walk in freedom. Help us to be real with one another. Help us to be vulnerable with one another and help us to speak grace to one another. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you love us and care for us so deeply. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.